Welcome to Smart Talks with the Elizabeth Smart Foundation. I am Elizabeth Smart, and my vision for what Smart Talks is, is not only to educate and empower people who watching this, but also to help victims and survivors realize that they're not alone and to help them understand that what they're going through is, is not is not isolating to them. I want them to feel that they have a community. And for those people who have not been through uh, trauma or abuse, I want them to understand what it's like to be a victim. So as a community, we can help everyone move forward together. Uh, if you don't know my story, um, I was kidnapped as a 14 year old and I was held captive for nine months. I was taken out of my bedroom in the middle of the night. And over the next nine months, I was tortured, I was raped, I was very, very emotionally abused, very psychologically abused. And when I got home, after I was finally rescued, the police um, rescued me from my captors about nine months later. And it was because just everyday individuals who paid attention, who kept their eyes open, made phone calls into the police on March 12th, 2003, saying, I think I just saw Elizabeth Smart. And that led to the police coming and rescuing me and reuniting me with my family. After I got home, I felt like I was the only person who understood what it was like to be kidnapped. I felt like I was very alone. I felt like I was isolated, like no one could possibly understand what I had been through. And so I was very reluctant to speak out, to share my experiences, because not only did I feel alone, but I was also embarrassed over what had happened, even though I knew it wasn't my fault. I mean, I'd been kidnapped out of my bed in the middle of the night. I knew it wasn't my fault, but I still was embarrassed and I didn't want to open myself up to that level of vulnerability and share the worst moments of my entire life. But as I continued moving on in my life, I met other survivors. And I think what shocked me the most was just how many survivors there were out there. And eventually uh, my case came to trial and I had to testify over a period of, I think it was about three days where I went through some of the most detailed, darkest experiences of my entire captivity on, on a witness stand and being examined and cross-examined. And when that happened, I felt like, no, if I'm going to share my story, if I'm going to put my life on display, I'm going to share it the way that I want to. And I'm going to give it context and I'm going to help people understand what it was really like. And so that really started me uh, down the road of, of advocacy. And over the years, as I've been doing this, um, I've become more and more involved. And uh, I created the Elizabeth Smart Foundation almost, almost a decade ago, actually, but it hasn't been until recently that I really wanted to take it to the next level, to take it from being more sort of a passive foundation, a passive organization to a really proactive organization. And I had this experience on an airplane over last summer. Um, I was coming home from doing a presentation on safety of all things and I fell asleep on the plane because that's what you do on planes I mean there's only so many things you can do 30,000 feet up in the air and I fell asleep and I didn't even pay attention to the person who was sitting next to me I just I was out 
and we were probably 40 minutes away from landing when all of a sudden I felt someone's hand on my leg and I jerked awake because the last time someone touched me inappropriately was the night I was kidnapped. So I woke up uh, quite shocked, very startled. And I looked over at this man waiting for him to take his hand off me and he didn't do anything. He just looked at me and left his hand on my leg. I was so shocked and surprised that I just froze. I didn't know what to do. And I finally pulled myself together enough to pick up his hand, to take it off my leg. And the rest of the time, I just sat there thinking, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? How could, what do I do next? I'm Elizabeth Smart. I should know what to do. I talk about setting boundaries. I talk about saying no. I talk about all these kinds of things all the time. How can I not know what to do now? And I thought that the rest of the flight. And I didn't, I didn't do anything. And when I landed, I called up my husband. I was upset. And that's what started, restarted, relaunched, refocused the entire uh, vision of the Elizabeth Smart Foundation. It's through smart defense and smart talks. And smart defense is our self-defense program that we have worked on developing. And we're, we are in quarantine right now, so we are not offering that right now, but we will be offering those classes again as soon as it is safe to do so. Um, but in the meantime, we are offering our smart talks, which I've talked about already, education and reaching out and helping victims and survivors know that they're not alone and, and providing a, a resource of information and stories and empowerment to help us all become a little bit better, to help us all move forward in our own personal journeys. And that is how I've gotten to where I am today. That's why I'm here speaking to you today. And I'm gonna turn the time over to Mio Strong, one of our incredible, my incredible colleagues at the Elizabeth Smart Foundation. And I will let her introduce herself now. Hi guys, uh, my name is Mio Strong and my background is actually in Jiu-Jitsu, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and um, mixed martial arts, Muay Thai, which is a striking um, art. And the reason I'm so excited and honored to be a part of a smart defense and pushing that out is because I myself um, was a victim of sexual abuse growing up and um, the, it took me a really long time to get to a good, healthy place where I can talk about it without shame. I'm very open. I'm very transparent about my experiences. And um, I wanted for myself to make a personal shift from a victim to an advocate. And I started training jujitsu over a decade ago and um, have been an active full-time competitor for the last uh, three years and teacher and coach as well. So I am taking my experience as a survivor of sexual abuse and turning it into something positive, which is smart defense. We're going to empower women and girls with education and also physical tools to fight back. And mainly um, that sense of empowerment and that sense of community and the sense of, you know, the ability to move forward after something terrible or horrific has happened. 
because as we all know, and as we hear more and more these days, it is prevalent, rampant everywhere we go. You're going to, one in three women in Utah alone is going to experience some sort of sexual violence in their lifetime. And I believe the national statistics are one in five. It's absolutely heartbreaking. And I'm a mother. I have two daughters and the cycle of abuse stops with me. It was, you know, it's a lot of it is um, a cycle. And that was one of the very, very, very important things to me is when I had children, I was going to raise them completely differently than the way I was raised. And that's another reason why I'm so passionate about women's empowerment and self-defense for everybody. I'm so honored to be a part of this. <laughs> well, one of the things that I loved, Mio, is that you didn't, I mean, you've been doing, you've been empowering women long before we ever connected, long before you know, you, I ever met you. And what has been your response as you have gone around and you've, you've held conferences and trainings? Yeah, you know, it's, it's been pretty remarkable. Um, my partner, Chelsea Kilpack, she's an amazing human as well. We're going to have her on this podcast soon. Um, but yeah, every time we teach a seminar, man, we've had women and girls share their stories with us and some in, sometimes in confidence and sometimes within the class setting. And um, it's an honor. And I don't take that lightly because it is, I feel like being able to talk about it is one of the very first steps of the road to recovery. And so if we can play a small part in that, man, it's, it's an honor. And in turn, those women are paying it forward as well. And they are taking those skills and what we've learned as, um, you know, supporters of each other, uh, moving forward to their own children, their own communities. And it's just a large ripple effect that, and I'm just, I'm so excited for what's coming. And I know this is kind of putting you on the spot a little bit, but because you do have experience in going out and teaching self-defense, when these women find the courage and the strength to come forward and share their story with you. Do you have words of advice for them or do you have next steps for them that you encourage them to do? Yeah, definitely. I, and I think it depends on their age. It depends on where they are in the journey of recovery and speaking out. Um, I think the biggest thing that helped me personally heal is to turn around and help other women. And so there are many ways they can get involved volunteering and we have a lot of resources locally here, the Rape Recovery Center, the Utah Coalition Against Sexual Assault. There's all sorts of um, extending education that we recommend that people, you know, get involved. Um, and also just, you know, encouraging other women, being a, an advocate. I think we need this, big, large worldwide girl gang. And that's what we're building is this support for each other. It's, it's a lot of, you know, what happened with the Me Too movement, you know, it just took a handful of really brave people to bring light to such a terrible, you know, a terrible thing that's happening in this country. Do you feel like it's, do you feel like because of the Me Too movement, it's more acceptable socially for women to come forward and say that they that they were raped or that they were abused? 
Yes, definitely. I think that's one of the most powerful things about bringing awareness is that, um, you know, like you mentioned earlier, just feeling alone and feeling like nobody on this planet could possibly relate to you. Um, I feel like the more we are as, uh, you know, as women, as the more we can be brave about our own journey and about our own abuse or um, experiences with rape or neglect or sexual violence in any form, it really just um, takes away, it helps, it doesn't do it fully, but it helps take away that feeling of shame and that isolation um, that a lot of people who have, you know, experienced this feel and, and rightfully so it's, you know, it's, it's a terrible thing to go through and it's really hard to talk about. I remember when I first got home, I mean, nobody ever disbelieved my story or what happened to me. Um, I was always very fortunate in that I always had police believe what I said. My parents always believed what I said. My community always believed what I said. And I realized how lucky I am to have that support. But I'll never forget one day I was at church of all places, a place that you think is pretty safe. And I actually got cornered in a bathroom by a stranger. And she started to say things to me like, well, you really ran away, didn't you? And you really loved Brian Mitchell, didn't you? And how do you feel knowing that you sent an innocent man to prison? This is all your fault. You know, you you you're this terrible person you've done all these things and i remember i was so shocked that 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 someone who who didn't know me at all could disbelieve me so blatantly and and accuse me of sending someone to prison who was innocent i was so shocked that someone disbelieved me and i think it's important just to talk about for a minute what to do in case you are a victim and you finally find the power within you to share your story and you don't, you are not met with, um, you're not met with people who believe you. You, you are met with doubt and discouraging comments and things like, well, you know, if that happened, what were you doing? Um, and I'm sure, I mean, you've come across the same thing in your different presentations you do, you've done. I mean, what is your advice for those women who are dealing with people who don't believe them? Keep talking, keep reaching out and keep finding new ways to express yourself. Because I think the sad reality is people don't want to hear it. They don't want to believe it. They don't, it it's more of a reflection of that person than it is yourself for if they're non-supportive or they don't believe you or um, I cannot believe that person said that to you in the bathroom. I would look to just like, Oh my goodness, that's so frustrating. Um, But keep talking. I think that's one of the things um, that I had to do personally is keep talking to trusted adults, keep trying and, it's not all going to happen at once. Of course, it's a really long journey, but knowing that you're going to experience some of this negative backlash and knowing that it's just part of it and you have to just keep putting one step in front of one foot in front of the other and, and keep going. I mean, there's police, there's therapists, there's parents, there's teachers, there's coaches, there's so many people, um, And it just takes one person to believe you and to help you then take the next steps to recovery. 
I think it's so important for victims and survivors to know that there is happiness, that it is possible, that we, we do go through these horrendous, dark, dark nightmares, but that it is possible to be happy again. It is possible to, to find that healing. And I know as cliche as it sounds, I do think that, that life is a journey and that we continually work to, to become better, to, um, to improve ourselves as individuals, that we, we continue on this pathway of healing. But sometimes we have to go through some pretty, pretty dark areas. We have to climb out of some pretty deep potholes um, before we get to the other side. And I think I, to your point of keep sharing your story, realize that sometimes it is absolutely necessary to revisit those horrendous dark moments uh, before you get to this level, this new level of peace, of, of continually moving forward. And that realize that it's not always just going to be an, an upward trajectory, that it's it's going to be bumpy. It's going to have, you know, your highs, you're going to have your lows. I mean, you know, I thought I, I thought I was in a pretty good place, but then, uh, I mean, in my own case, you know, my, my, the case, the trial, it took so long. It eventually had to be transferred from the state courts to the federal courts. And it was about eight years. I mean, almost a decade before my personal case finally saw the light of day. There was always some hiccup or stumbling block or some kind of competency question along the way. And how frustrating that was for me. Um, you know, every time I kind of thought that I'd left this, this chapter in the past and that I was on a new stage, a new phase in my life, somehow I felt like I was drugged back into the past. But I guess I, it's important for me, for every victim, for every survivor to know, no matter how many times you have to tell your story before you're believed, no matter what you have to go through before you reach the other side, it is worth it because the other side is worth getting to. That new normal that you have to create because whether you like it or not, there's, there's no going back. I mean, for me, I'll never be that 14-year-old girl that I was before I was kidnapped. Um, my kidnapping changed my life. I mean, it, it, ended, it ended my childhood. I will never be able to go back and, and have that back ever again. But that being said, I just want everyone to know, every victim, every survivor, every person who's going through a struggle, because we all have a story, no matter what your story is, I want you to know that life is worth living and that it is worth pursuing and finding that happiness and finding what brings you peace and joy and, and making it to the other side. It is worth it and it is possible. And I guess that's that's my soapbox. <laughs> I love your soapbox. I completely agree with it. And I often think about, you know, I wish I could write eight-year-old Mio a letter <laughs> from 42-year-old Mio's perspective. And it would say the same thing, like, keep going. It's going to be okay. This is going to end. And it's been an interesting journey for me. You and I have completely opposite experiences, yet we both experienced sexual violence. But um, my daughters are now 10 and 13. And when my youngest was eight, 
um, I kind of went through this really rough, um, emotional struggle parenting and, um, raising healthy, happy children is like the, like my number one reason for existing. (laughs) And so it was really, really hard for me and really frustrating to figure that out. But with my therapist and I worked through, you know, my eight year old was as old as when my abuse started. My older child was about the same age as when it ended finally. And I was seeing these tiny humans and like how innocent and how completely um, vulnerable they were. And it was bringing up so many emotions. So even though I had done years and years of therapy and work and, and teaching events and, you know, it's, it was just another hurdle to work through. And I think I'm way more um, equipped now, thankfully, to work through those. And I'm right with you on the whole idea of anyone who's listening, anyone who's watching, anyone who has experienced something or is experiencing something terrible like sexual violence, keep going. Like you are worth every ounce of effort to survive this and to thrive after this and to really um, not let it define you. You know, always be a part of what shaped you as a person, but it's not my defining characters what happened have that power anymore. If anything, I've turned it around and been able to hopefully help other people, which is another huge, huge, huge goal of mine. And what I love about what you just said said is that you talk about. You know, you said how the abuse that you went through, the sexual abuse that you went through happened when you're a child, but now you're a 42 year old woman. And I mean, you've still gone into therapy, but that being said, I mean, you've also, you know, you've become a a huge competitor in the world of jujitsu. You're a mom, you're an advocate. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't define you that you've gone on to be so much more. And I think it, and maybe it's me being too presumptuous, but I think it's probably fair to say that all of these things that you've embraced and brought into your life have led to this place of healing and to where you are right now. And I think that's really important for every survivor and victim to realize there is no one size fits all. There is no one therapy and one thing that's going to get you to where you are today. I mean, it's different for each one of us. And I'm so excited as we move forward in our podcast to not only discuss the different topics, the different struggles that we go through, like guilt and shame and victim blaming and and finding the courage to speak out and changing what abuse looks like, but but also exploring the different areas of healing and therapy, how, you know, being a competitive jujitsu fighter can be very empowering and therapeutic. How, for me, um, finding release and relief through, through music can, can be very healing and therapeutic or, or the outdoors or talk therapy or EMDR therapy um, and exploring these different fields because each one of them is going to work for someone. And there's just no one size fits all. And so with that being said, I am so excited to move on to our next podcast. And I want to thank you all for tuning in and spending a little time getting to know Mio and myself. I look forward to speaking to you all next time on Smart Talks. See you soon.